Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Six Ten Media acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded the Gubby Gubby people, and we pay our respects to Elders past, present, and future. A quick disclaimer before we start. Tear It Down is a podcast about all things mental health. Therefore, it may contain coarse language, adult themes, and subject matter that may be distressing to some listeners, such as suicide, self-harm, and references to drug and alcohol abuse. Please, listen at your own discretion. If you yourself are struggling, you can reach out to Lifeline on 131114. G'day and welcome back to Tear It Down, tearing the stigma down around mental health, one story at a time. I'm Jamie Poltz, and this is episode 12. I hope you're doing well. I sure am. I'm really excited about this guest today. He's a top bloke and a great storyteller. His name is Paul Verhoeven. You've probably seen Paul's podcasts as you're scrolling through the charts. Loose Units and Dish. He's also the host of ABC's TV show Steampunks. He's the author of two books, Loose Units and Electric Blue, a podcaster and a comedian. And Paul also suffered pretty profoundly with ADHD as a kid and still now. Paul's father, John, is a former police officer with many, many crazy, unbelievable stories. These stories became the foundation for the podcast Loose Units, which was followed by a book by the same name. Paul's second book is called Electric Blue. In this book, Paul sits down with his dad, as he tells him his stories of being a forensic officer in the New South Wales Police Force. Paul also details his life, his childhood, growing up with a cough. Well, he probably did have a cough, but growing up with a cop, I'm sure we all have coughs every now and again. But no, I meant to say growing up having a cop as a dad and his struggles with ADHD, bullying and more. So welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. Mate, it's great to have you on. And I was just telling you off air that I've recently just been listening to your latest book, Electric Blue. Mate, it's fantastic so far. I'm loving it. I've got about uh, an hour and 50 minutes left on Audible. That's the really weird stuff. Yeah, you're heading into the really weird stuff at the end. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. What I think is really cool about your book is you've managed to intertwine your own plot and your own life Mm. with your dad's life and your dad's police stories and they work simultaneously and that that can't be hard that can't be easy sorry to do right yeah some look honestly part of it comes down to like hubris because essentially the first book in the series loose units was just about dad's stories but this one i really kind of wanted to talk about yeah 
for lack of a better term, me, I guess. No, yeah. I mean, look, part of the reason that Dad and I have such an interesting relationship, I think, is because we are so similar. And I didn't really realize that until I had finished working on this book because uh, when I was younger, I got diagnosed with ADHD and a bunch of other stuff. And I didn't really kind of talk about that at all in the first book because I didn't really feel that comfortable with it. But I started to realize that in order to explore who Dad was, I needed to figure out who I was and kind of vice versa, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. if you if you listen to us talking to each other, it's very clear that we both have basically like the same internal chemistry, right? Like, and, and by kind of sitting there and spending hundreds of hours with dad and getting annoyed by him and getting just like confused <laughs> by his kind of the way he talks or the way he thinks or the way he goes off on tangents, I started to go, oh God, that's exactly what I'm like. So um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly an easy process, but it was really nice to read it back and go, I think I've just done a, basically a, whether it's a analysis or a character assassination on myself, um, it, it's, it's, it's been very <laughs> revealing, certainly. Yeah, it's a brutally honest book. Uh, I, was, you know, I don't even know you before the book, but my take is that it's very honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. My, my wife, Tegan, says that I have no... I'm like a dog, like I wag my tail or I growl. Like I, I cannot hide my reaction to a thing. And I think that's, yeah. So when it, when it came to writing about myself, I'll be honest, it was, it was very easy to be honest about myself because it would have required too much work to pretend that I was something that I'm not, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So for the listener's sake and who, who don't know who you are, <laughs> you, you've got a couple of podcasts, mm. uh, Loose Units and yep. Dish. Uh, what else, what else do you well, do? Look, oh God! I mean, even my career has ADHD. It's it's really odd. <laughs> so I, I mean, like author, I guess. Well, not I guess. Technically, yes, Two books, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, no. so I'm, I'm an author on Audible, mate. That's successful. Oh, thank thank Good you, on you. Uh, Author, podcaster. Um, I host a kids TV show on the ABC. I um, I'm a freelance writer for a bunch of outlets. I write TV. I do a bunch of other things. But I think the main thing I do now is sort of writing. I think that's the main thing I do. And it was really interesting tying back to that first question of yours that my impulse to talk about myself. I mean, my God, like everyone in even vaguely re- like linked to the creative industry just wants specifically men like they just want to talk about themselves they want to like make themselves the hero of their own story and it was really nice to realize that actually I think I think my main role now is stepping back and creating stories about other things and after I'd had that really nice revelation and you know that really like psychologically healthy moment of it doesn't need to be about you Paul you don't need to be on camera all the time <laughs> and then I get a book deal and it becomes very apparent within the first few pages that, oh, God, I've started writing a book about me. So it's it's not really about me, but, yeah, uh, career-wise, it's been nice to kind of come full circle and, you know, uh, like you said, be quite honest about who I am. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think anyone who appreciates a good read or writing, I mean, I love mm. reading. I, I can I can appreciate how, how you've managed to, like I said, to work in your story with your dad's mm. story. And go back and forth in timelines, and yeah, it just it just comes together so well, and that's yeah, that's what makes it a oh, good thank read. You. I really, mm. but interestingly enough, mate, I just also listened to Kevin Hart's book, right? Um, because you're a comedian, uh, he's a comedian, and he's <laughs> he actually started going to st- doing stand up and all that sort of stuff, and he was you know he was it was like a dare to start with, but he started going pretty good, mm. and he got this mentor. Who's like, mate, you know, it's funny, but it's not about you. It has to be about you. All the good comedians talk about themselves and mm. it's honest. 
And so he started doing that and then look where he is now. And yeah. so I think there is something in that, like the, the oh. funny, the truth, the funny. Yeah, I, I know David Cross said, um, he said, you need to be willing to look ugly uh, on camera to do good comedy. He said, if you like, so if you're too concerned about how, like, you can't just want to look and sound good all the time. You need to be basically willing to be ugly or show like an ugly side of yourself. Um, and whilst my wife is a like veteran of the comedy circuit, yep. I dived into comedy quite late and did a festival run for a while. And then kind of just used that as a, as an ingredient in everything else I did. Um, but yeah, being willing to kind of get up and be honest about who you are is very, um, I don't know, I, I'll be honest, I, I don't particularly find it difficult, which might make me very stupid or very naive. It's, it's. I think you're actually meant to care about what people think about you. I think it's kind of healthy um, and I sort of don't, especially with this book. I mean, I just didn't, you know, I just didn't really care because I think everyone who knows me knows exactly what I'm like. All I was trying to do was... Uh, apologize for and articulate why I am the way I am as opposed to revealing anything particularly revelatory about myself. Like, you know, if you've met me, you know what I'm like. This was more about the, this is why I am like, yeah, you know, what I'm like, right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were diagnosed with ADHD, Mm -hmm. attention attention deficit. Hyperactive. Yeah. Hyperactive disorder. Yeah. 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 My, uh, my seven-year-old son was just diagnosed with that. Oh, um, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in hindsight, mm. upon reflection, oh, I swear I had that too. And my mum was like, yeah, you definitely had it. Mm. And I never never was diagnosed, obviously, yeah, but yeah. I had all the traits. You know, I could never relax. I, yeah, didn't want to sleep in. I'd be wasting my morning, you mm. know, stuff. Anyway. Enough about me. No, no, no. It's complete, it, it's interesting that, <laughs> yeah. like, because my, my dad, I'm pretty sure, has it. But my grandma, my dad's mum, recently told him because she's very eccentric, and she said, "John, everyone's autistic." And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And she said, "Everyone's on the spectrum, John. Everyone's <laughs> somewhere on the spectrum." And he, fa- he he floated that at me as if it was some sort of like insane proposition. She's he just went, "That's so stupid." No, went, well, at the same time. I mean, it's entirely possible, Dad, that you are, and he was so offended, but then I started pointing out things he does. <laughs> yeah. And also then I just went, you know, like, you picked a career that was so high risk, so high octane, you know, you were throwing yourself at this crazy stuff, and then you started ping-ponging between careers. I mean, he was a firefighter, he was a, after he was a cop, he was a firefighter, he was in forensics, uh, he was, like, one of the heads of security at the Opera House, he was a private investigator, he was an antique dealer, he was a skydiver, a scuba diver, like, he just, yeah. he, he couldn't stay still. And also I, the the, the uh, funeral home director. Oh my god! Yes, he was. Yes, and which which by the way, we he forgot about. It just sort of cropped up. I was like, oh, that's right. For a few years, we ran a funeral home six feet under style, which again is in the book. But it's very odd. And I think he was really kind of um, he was offended on principle at that diagnosis. But when I pointed out these things and very reasonably said, look, it, it would make sense if you had some of the things that I have. Um, but yeah. it's not, it's not, I don't know if it's an impairment or if it's, you know, I got the, I got the diagnosis very, very young and I got it with a bunch of other stuff because I was just like a depressed kid. So I got, I got diagnosed with depression, anxiety, all these other things. And I was on all kinds of medications. And I think mum and dad were just like, a, they were at their wits end with me. Um, and I think, I fucking forgot what the question was, which is in keeping no, with right. this. <laughs> Well, what's what's ADHD 
like for you? Like, what is it? Um, in the book, I describe it as trying to put smoke back into a bottle, which is true. One of the worst, there's two real kind of core pillars of this, of this thing I have. One is poor impulse control, uh, and one is hyper-focus. So the impulse control thing, the worst thing about impulse control, dude, is that it makes you sound just like, like a, like a kid. And it makes you sound, and what's really bad is it shares a lot of traits, like in terms of the Venn diagram of, of traits that intersect it makes you just sound like a selfish kid like a selfish kid and sometimes you are just being selfish and sometimes it is the adhd and sometimes it's both so you can kind of emerge from this spree of impulsive behavior and people will be rightfully angry at you and you can't really use the adhd as a defense but at the same time it's this sort of like ambient pressure that that makes it harder for you to kind of rein certain things in but the bit i like is the hyper focus so you get really obsessed with things a very singular obsession by the way you can't i mean i can't multitask which again crosses over with a problem that most men have which is yeah don't even get me started but but as far as the hyper focus goes i will something will catch my eye right whether it's a genre of literature or a series of films, or a type of fashion, or whatever. And I will get psychotically obsessed with it to the point where it's quite dangerous. I mean, I will sink countless amounts of hours and money, and I will change my whole life and my whole aesthetic to pivot so hard towards this new pursuit. And poor Tegan has to just sit there and go, okay, so what are you into right now? Okay. Okay, so it's Egyptology. All right. And suddenly I've bought all these textbooks and I'm like lining up trips to go to Egypt and I'm researching brushes to kind of like, I go really hard. And then like almost on a pin, pretty much overnight, I drop it and I don't ever want to look at it again. And I'm onto the next thing. And I can't control it. And I can't so my my latest thing is karate, right? So during <laughs> okay. lockdown, no interest in physical exercise whatsoever. During lockdown, I, I hadn't seen Karate Kid before and someone posted an animated GIF on Twitter from season three of Cobra Kai, which is the kind of Netflix yeah. original spinoff series of, of Karate Kid. And I saw this GIF and my brain went, you should do that. You should watch the show. And I went, but I haven't seen the films. You should watch the films. So I made Tegan <laughs> sit down, watched all three films over two days, and then watched all three seasons of the show. That's a lot of TV over a single week. And then I research, started researching karate dojos. And then I found an authentic Japanese dojo near me that is Shotokan Karate. And I signed up with them for a class. And at this point, Tegan's going, all right, please just don't buy any uniforms because you won't, you won't do it. You won't. <laughs> now, this was nine months ago, and I've been doing it three times a week since then. And I've, I've gone. Wow. You, well, the trick was, and this is what I realized, it's like waving a red flag at a bull, right? You can trick your hyper-focus into getting obsessed with something that is, that is uh, good for you. So mm. whether it's work, let's say you've got a deadline, the trick is to find something that you know your brand will latch onto, whether it's, for me, it was the uniforms, right? So I, I, got, I let my brain hyperfixate on the aesthetic kind of superficial trappings of the hobby, um, yeah. knowing full well that I was tricking it and that by the time I got in really deep for those things, I would be fit enough and, and kind of in deep enough with the, with the dojo, with all the people there, that I wouldn't be able to leave. So I sort yeah. of, I tricked my, like I lured myself into this forest using a trail of candy. I, I really did game the system. You played your own hand. Yeah, 100%. And you can do that. And that is, that is why, I just to tie it back, that's why the hyperfocus is good. Because if you're careful and you're strategic, and you've got to be really vigilant with it. But you can kind of find a thing about the thing you need to do and make yourself obsessed with that part of it. So 
for example, cooking, we've started going really hard in the kitchen and experimenting. And, you know, Dish is a food podcast, Tegan and I launched, which was partly born from the fact that we're, you know, like culinarily kind of obsessed. But the the thing I got obsessed with was like the cookware and the all the little kind of fiddly things, like the stuff, the stuff that you buy, the kind of retail-oriented stuff. But by the end of this period where I've just been obsessing over those things, suddenly I know how to cook, right? Like mm. I, I've, I've learned a practical skill at the end of this, so my brain goes, well, there's no point quitting now. So I'm in too deep. I can't then get distracted. So I've kind of tricked myself into getting fit and learning to cook by finding things for me to get fixated on, which are quite superficial. It gets tricky, however, with things like Lego, which has no practical applications. And I am sitting next to the biggest goddamn collection of impulse bought Lego because I went through this phase and I'm, I think, I don't know, God, there's so much plastic <laughs> in this room. It's crazy. Um, it got, I mean, I was thinking the other day about school, about being back at school and how, how much trouble I had. And so often if you have ADHD and you're at school, it's... Um, you're not old or wise enough yet to realize that you can um, game the system like that. And so yeah. you just sort of, if a teacher catches your attention with some sort of like dead poet society grade speech and it gets you inspired in a subject, that's great. But that barely happens. So school was a nightmare for me. And for most people with ADHD or anything like that, you just can't, you can't focus because you don't care. You literally, it's like I said, you're like a dog. You, if you like something, you like it. If you don't, you don't. You can't control your impulses. Um, and it means that, yeah, you just find it really hard to kind of focus. If you manage to stumble into a career which somehow happens to, you know, align with what you like, then that's great. Um, but, oh, and another problem with ADHD is uh, the, it's not object permanence. It is like a, you know how baby has no object permanence? You know, like you leave a room and you stop existing, you come back into the room and it's the first time they've seen you. It's this sort of, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. a really, it's a weird idea. And somebody pitched at me the fact that uh, friendship permanence is a problem with people with ADHD. So ah. if you have- so, so you have a hard time keeping friends or maintaining friends? Yes, is that but, what you mean? But for a very specific reason and try and follow me on this. So you know how- you have friends and you check in regularly and you make sure they're okay. And it's like this running narrative between you and your friend that you, you know, you have these running stories and you know, you're always checking in and you're always up to date and it's, it's great. It's a, it's a, sure. it's like a garden that you kind of maintain and you water, right? Yeah. So if you have ADHD, sometimes what you will do is you will just stop talking to a person for like six months and you don't mean anything by it. You're just off on your own adventures. Your assumption is that when you check back in, they will be exactly where you left them emotionally everything will be like exactly where it was but for uh. them for from their perspective you just bug it off so th they they need the regular upkeep but it's kind of like you have got like five different books you're reading at once you put the book down you pick it up a year later you kind of go all right that's where i was that's where i was in the story and you just keep going right you don't so if you have adhd i and i found this especially that you start hanging out with people and they're really offended by your lack of kind of upkeep because for them, they require that constant checking in. They don't realize that your brain is so drawn off in other directions that it's not personal. It's just that you just got, you genuinely got distracted. Um, mm. And the problem is there is no ostensible difference between your internal distraction and someone who is being actively neglectful. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it does. So yeah. there's no actual marked difference. The behavior is exactly the same. The outcome for them is the same. The person they like is not around and is sort of just soldered off to chase like a Lego spree across Europe or whatever, or suddenly enroll in some dojo and they wake up six months later, they're in Okinawa and they realize they made a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, all these things. And every once in a while, I have someone who's been diagnosed as an adult going, oh, my God, this explains 90% of my problems. And I just want to go, yeah, like, if you just if I'd gotten there sooner, maybe I would have learned more about myself. I'm 38 and I'm only just getting a handle on this thing. The show will return after this quick break. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mate, you you've pretty much painted my picture for me too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I, I I get fascinated with a hobby, and then I go hundred percent balls deep into it, yep. and then then I don't want to hear about it anymore. Yep. I'm over it. Yeah, done. Yeah, and yeah, I've changed careers as much as I've changed undies. You know, <laughs> been a bricklayer, got my trade. At least I finished it, got my trade. Well, I did two years of a carpentry apprenticeship. That didn't work out. Right. Then I did bricklaying. Yeah. Then I became a police officer. Yeah. And then I left that. And now I work in a soap bar. So it's yeah, I make soap. Look, man. There you go. You get look. It's weird, but I think, I mean, I'm loath to offer life advice, but I mean, <laughs> I do occasionally like because of the kids' show stuff. I was chatting with you know um like contestants on the show on Steampunks and just chatting with kids and realizing, oh my god, you have such a battle ahead of you, and not because there's anything wrong with you, but because you actually have no control over your impulses, which I think maybe is why I ended up in the creative space and why I have like nine different kind of pokers in nine different fires is because I can't yeah. sit still. But it's also like um, I always come back to things that I was obsessed with. So it's like a, it's like seasons. You do come back. Uh, yeah. And it's like that with people as well. You know, I, I like friendships where I can check in every every couple of months and there's no pressure. I don't need a kind of like a time card Exactly. I've been part of friendship groups before where if you're not checking in all the time and if you miss a single event, you're done because you missed out on a lot of vital stuff and people just forget about you. But I'd much rather have friends who realize that I am going to cameo occasionally and whenever I'm around, it's great because, God, oh, there he is. He's great. But they don't need me around all the time, right? And maybe that means I'm losing out on something, but I don't know. I don't think I can operate any other way. So back to your book and your life, mm. you know, reading or listening to the part about getting bullied as a kid, you know, was was very sad. Walk us through that. What actually, what happened and, and yeah, how did that affect you in your adult years? Oh, the bullying sucked. But I mean, I went to a, um, a school on the northern beaches uh, called St. Paul's and I know I'm not meant to name it, but I don't care. So I'm going to do it anyway. And I think what was interesting was the northern beaches were referred to as the insular peninsula for a while, just because of the, especially back in the 90s, this just kind of ambient level of, you know, like homophobia and ignorance and racism and just this kind of weird, privileged strangeness. We're from the northern beaches. Yeah. Well, it is. It was a little bit like that. And, you know, it's the most beautiful place in Australia. It's stunning. But you just do occasionally, you just sort of. I don't know. There was just a base level of ignorance, which I kind of dealt with. And because I was the one artsy kid, I was always struggling with that. Um, it's, it's kind of why I went to, I left to Melbourne um, when I was, 
when I was done with uni, I just ran back to Melbourne and, you know, really, I love it here. Um, this is not an anti-Sydney tirade. I love Sydney. No. It's just, I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But the bullying was like, you know, I, I don't know. So occasionally I think back to my behavior and go, yeah, that was pretty weird the way you were acting. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty sustained bullying campaign from year seven to 10, which is why I dropped out of school. So I got my, um, I got my school certificate and then I buggered off to TAFE and enrolled in a graphic design course. And the second I was around other artsy people, it was just like a pressure valve got released. And I went, oh, God, I should have gone to, you know, those like creative arts uh, high schools where it's just, yeah, it's just actors and artists and performers. And, you know, I think there's one in Northcote. Like it's, it's, I don't know how many career uh, prospects you get from them, but God, it would have just been so much easier for me. But I was actually thinking the other day back to the people who bullied me. I can remember every single one of their faces and names. And I just think, man, like what? I don't know. I don't understand the psychology of bullies, but it was it was pretty bad. Uh, and, and, and yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the book stuff was fairly easy. What's interesting about the book is I wrote a lot of traumatic stuff in there. So I, whether it was dad's traumatic stories or mine, and when I read them back, I wasn't sitting there going, "Oh, that poor kid." I think I kind of turned myself into a character um, in a story, which means that the things that happened to that kid were happening to him and not to me, which made it a little bit easier in retrospect. But God, yeah, it sucked. Uh, it was, it was, you know, it was pretty constant. Uh, one of the school bullies I had added me on Facebook as a friend a couple of years back, back when I was I was um, presenting weekend breakfast on Triple J, and I was in Sydney. In the uh, in the studios in Sydney, and I was I just finished interviewing someone live on air, and I got a little ping on Facebook, and it was this guy called Patrick, and he was a uh, he was one of the he was like a mid tier bully, you know, where I yeah I thought maybe he was going along with the rest of the guys for just just to look cool or something, and he added me on Facebook as a friend, and I briefly considered accepting, letting him kind of have a snoop around and look at the kind of you know through my photos and at like the the stellar success I'd become at that point and then just unfriending him, just giving him a peek into the exclusive nightclub and letting him out. And then I thought, no, just don't, don't feed the beast. But I looked him up recently and he's got kids and he seems to be happy and he's probably pretty centered. And I, I guarantee you, if I chatted with him, he would regret what he did. Um, there's one guy who bullied me who I'm, I'm pretty sure ended up in prison. And that seems mm. like, that seems like justice enough, right? I, I mean, don't, I don't know. I feel like it's healthy to let go of this stuff. Um, when I was writing about the, the bullying in Electric Blur, I wasn't trying to, um, you know, kind of paint myself as, as, as the victim, even though that's objectively what I was. What I think what I was trying to do is explain um, a little more about who I am. Also, for years, I was carrying that stuff around and I was telling people, like, I'd get into a relationship and I'd explain that I was bullied as if that was somehow, I don't know, more of a reason for them to pity me or something. Like, it was really, it's just not good to hang on to baggage, right? Like we've, I'm sure we've all been through stuff. Uh, and, yeah. And there were kids at school who were getting bullied worse than me as well. Like, there were guys who were getting like, really going through it. Um, but it was a really bad school for for bullying. I, I, w- I would not recommend you send your children to the school <laughs> soon, unless things have changed significantly. Yeah. No, but I think it's important to talk about it because, I mean, yeah, you don't want to hold on to that stuff. Mm. You don't want to be, you know, carrying that through your adult years. But it's important for other people to hear it because they might be able to recognize what's happening to their kids or what happened to themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, how they might be able to deal with it going forward. And 
the fact that you were, you know, in your book, you did detail some of the horrendous things that were happened that happened to you. Yeah, yeah. And but on the on the flip side, now you're playing into your ADHD. You know how to deal with it, and now you are like very successful in what you do. You've got a great audience, and you're a talented writer. Oh, thank you. And you're married and happy. And <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm assuming you are. Oh no, things. I'm laughing because I just keep thinking about like I have a wonderful life and my marriage is incredible but yet the having a husband who has adhd to the level i have it it's pretty escalated occasionally the what happens when you come into a house and it's full of the things that your husband's decided are just like all right i'm into this now i can't express how real that egypt thing was by the way it was i was i was i was um like three steps deep into enrolling in postgrad archaeology over at uh, RMIT. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was like, I was, I was in correspondence with one of the professors. I was getting my scores sorted out. I was doing it, and Tegan just had to go. Paul, like, you don't, you can't. This isn't a thing. This is not. It's hard because you, you don't know going in which one's going to be real and which which one's not going to be real. Um, yeah, it's a little like the boy who cried wolf, which I think is why it's interesting talking about trauma because when you bring up something that happened to you. It's hard to tell whether you're fixating on it or whether it's real. I don't know. I mean, yes, things are going, you know, things have panned out very well for me. But um, and it does get, I was told once that the best revenge is living well. Um, mm. I don't know that I agree. Uh, I think the best revenge might be pushing someone down the stairs, followed by living well. <laughs> I think there is, I don't know, I think there's a certain catharsis to it. Occasionally I do have to just be very grateful, you know. Um, or you could throw an anal thermometer at them. Yeah, sure. You just, like, just don't even clean it first. Just, just like, whip it out. <laughs> yeah. um, you for know, those who don't get that reference, you'll have to read the book. Yes, there is a there is a chapter revolving. Isn't the chapter called Anal Thermometers? I think it might be, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. No, but um, I mean, I think... I think it is nice that things have panned out, but um, we did a show, Tegan and I did a show on the ABC a while back where we would answer questions, and I think this was for the kids' helpline, so it was like a tie-in, and we would answer questions from kids, and one of the episodes was a kid going, hey, I've been really badly bullied, how would you suggest I handle that? And whilst I can't remember the specific advice because of the ADHD, because it was a really big day, we shot like eight episodes, Um it was really nice being able to sit there, like, down the road. I think the thing I learned is that, yeah, it, schools are like prisons, dude. Like, they're, they're prisons. I mean, you're not meant to be in a big square building with hundreds of other people that you don't like. You're not meant to be. It prepares you very well for the world, but you're not meant to be around that many people. And kids act like monsters, partly because they can't be policed, but also because they're trying to figure out who they are as people. And some of them are going to be bad people. And this is them practicing and figuring out just how effectively bad they can be. Um, And some of them have other psychological issues which are making them act on impulse and years later they'll regret that stuff. Um, True. There's no one-size-fits-all solution for bullying, unfortunately. And you can't, as in the book, I tried to address dad and go, like, you're a cop. Why didn't you come down to the school and just, like, beat the crap out of these people? Um, and he since told me that they did go to the school and they did try and sort this stuff out, but the bullying kept happening. So I'm a little, I'm, I'm still a little flummoxed by it. Sometimes I think that maybe I've just blocked stuff out and I don't really want to think about it. <laughs> like I'm just trying to, you know, just shove it aside and not, not address it. But I've got nieces and nephews now. And if they were getting bullied, I've often thought like, what would I do? How would I fix that? And I'm thinking a sword might be a good solution. Just a <laughs> well, big sword. 
Just Cobra Kai it. Yeah. You know, now that you're going to karate, you just put your, Man. Put your gi on and go down there and ah. mash a bit of ply. Yep. Oh, right. So don't hurt the kids. Just take down no, some wood, just, put it on two bits of cinder block in front of them, right? Just let them gather around, smash the wood and go, now let that be a lesson to you. Yeah. No, don't I, break your hand. It'll fail miserably. 100%. Me crying and screaming because then the kids will bully me and I'll be back where I started, really. Exactly. Mm. When you mentioned that you... You know, your wife comes in and goes, "What hobby are you going to be into now?" I can, I can feel my wife Renee's eyes rolling and going, "That's you." Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. She puts up with me as well, so thank you, Renee. Finally, what? How do you manage your like ADHD, your anxiety, and your depression now? What what grounds you? What centers you? What treatment do you do? Like, what helps you? Um, I briefly thought about getting remedicated a couple of years back. And uh, Tegan talked me out of it, which isn't to say that getting medicated is bad. It's more that I I think she said that because I was in the process of um, kind of finding ways around it. So exercise really helps me. Um, I mean, really, really helps me. Again, I had to find an exercise that that was easy to get obsessed with. So exercise helps. Yoga helps a lot. Um. And as far as the depression goes, weirdly, I had this chemical shift when I was about probably like 21 or 22 where something just clicked and it's like all those chemicals drained from my body. I still get a really, probably like a bad day every six months where I'm just very sad, but it's 2021. Like, yeah. Who doesn't have Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. you know, and I, I think, um, but there are people around me, people very close to me who have proper, like proper depression. And it's just when you see people who have it worse, it's really, it puts shit mm. in perspective. Like it's, it's you know, um, the anxiety has gone. Really the only thing I have now is an incredible ability, to, like inability rather to focus on anything. Um and it's really interesting. Sometimes I'll be sitting in a conversation with somebody and I will literally just start important, interesting conversations. Sometimes I'll be on air, like doing, I'll be doing a podcast with someone and I'll have two guests talking to me and I'll be thinking about other yeah. things. And it's not because I'm not interested. It's because I am like a dog chasing shiny objects. I cannot, and it's like a muscle. I just kind of have to teach myself little tricks to get myself back into the moment. And part of it is, uh, if you are enjoying a thing and you like a thing, it's much harder to get distracted. It's not impo- it's not impossible, but it's much harder to get distracted. So I think just finding the thing about the thing that you like and focusing on that thing. <laughs> I know I said thing a lot, but just whenever you like, for example, if I'm doing an interview with somebody um, and it's not someone involved in a project that I like at all and the project is boring and I'm tired, the trick is to focus on the part of it that you Right. into and just keep you right and and even just doing things like making sure you are in an environment where there's minimal distractions which again is impossible because there is a lego millennium falcon next to me <laughs> like i'm touching it right now it is so big it's the big one right like it's the big it's the big one it's almost a meter long Shit. and i've done cust there's like it's a custom job there's like stuff here that didn't come in the box and uh now i'm thinking about the falcon and how long has that taken you to do that took like a week to do, but I've got a secret smuggling compartment inside it in which is a custom Lego minifig of Kyle Katarn, who was the protagonist of a series of video games from the 90s. And he's not technically canon anymore, but it was important to me that he was in there. So there's like a secret hatch. And I'm looking at it now. And now I can't remember <laughs> what we were talking. No, focus. That's yeah. right. Um, but yeah, I think... No, I have genuinely <laughs> lost my thread. Oh, my God. No. That's... Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> Uh, we had oh a good god. insight just then thank you 
No, no problem. Oh, my God. Yeah, thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate it. Uh, I encourage all the listeners to read or listen to your two books, Loose Units and Electric Blue. Also, your podcast by the same name, Loose Units and Dish. And I'll put those links in the show notes for everyone who wants to go and check them out. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, thank you for your time, Paul, and uh, go and do whatever you got to do, whatever hobby you're going to take up now. It's been an absolute pleasure. I am literally going to, there's a karate contest going on uh, via Zoom on Saturday with my dojo, so I'm going to go practice. And How oh does the contest God. go via Zoom? Life. You just pretend to get hit? Oh, uh, uh, you've got like, no, you've got, oh, that would be very funny, but you've got, uh, you've got, Sensei's on Zoom. It's like a grid of faces, and you've got five black belts, and they send you kind of a series of like a kata that you need to learn. And then everyone kind of does theirs one by one, and everyone judges it. So I got to have like a ring light set up and a tripod in my phone, and we've got to move heaps of furniture out of the way. And I get into my gi, and we do a full um, routine. And then we get uh, like, it's not prizes. I think secretly what they're doing is kind of figuring out who is ready for the next grading, which means I'll be potentially trying to jump from yellow to orange belt or maybe straight to green belt. I don't know. See, it's the colored belts, yeah. dude. That's why I'm doing yeah. this. It's like you just, you need to have a little thing exactly. to latch onto. You can't go, I need to get fit. And you can't go, I need to learn, learn to fight people. You need to have the music from Karate Kid playing in the background. You need to think about Mr. Miyagi and you need to have like a new, brand new colored belt being handed to you by your sensei as you're like panting and sweating and you get like, that's, you need to find those things to latch onto. So, and you could do that with anything. That'd be literally. a serious disadvantage though, if you had internet lagging issues via this Zoom thing. Oh, It'd be like Call of Duty. Yeah. But, I mean, you're like, I'm lagging, I'm lagging, I'm getting killed, I'm lagging, but... um. No, that, that would be a real problem in real yeah. fights if you were, like, somehow three <laughs> seconds behind someone. You get hit, don't move, and you duck. Yeah. yeah that's, I mean, I'm, I'm like that anyway, so, you know. Um, but thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening. That's it for this episode. Stay tuned for next week. Well, you don't really have to do anything. You just have to, like, time will literally pass until next week, whether you stay tuned or not. So just check back in for next week. Thanks very much to Paul for giving me his time today. If you want to go check his work out, his books, his podcasts, you can head to the show notes and the links will be there. Tear It Down is a 610 Media production. A special thanks to Audio Technica and Zoom for supporting me throughout my podcast journey. The cover art was by my talented sister-in-law, Courtney Woods. Theme song, beat number three, by Bubba Beats. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you are listening to this now. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tear It Down Podcast and also at 610 Media Group. If you want to get in touch, you can head to 610mediagroup.com or send an email to info at 610mediagroup.com. That's S-I-X and the number 10. Cheers. If this episode has brought up any issues for you, please seek help. You can reach Lifeline at 131114. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.